Hello, hello, and welcome to Non-Technical, where I, your host, Alexis Gay, interview influential folks from tech, media, business, and beyond about everything except their resumes. Today on the pod, a long-awaited pod, we have Lauren Burson, founder and CEO at Conceive, though she's done a lot of other super impressive, really interesting things prior to that, which admittedly, I'm not going to ask her that much about. Lauren, thank you so much for being here. I am so pumped to be here. Oh my gosh, I'm excited to have you. Are you ready to dive in? I'm so ready. I feel like I've been looking forward to this for a long time. And my hope is that we start with podcasts and then we meet in real life. That's my goal. Is that coming on too strong? No, that's not coming on too strong. That is right on my wavelength. I'm ready. We're moving from the online to the IRL coming soon. Amazing. This episode of Non-Technical is brought to you by Pilot.com. Founders and entrepreneurs, fasten your seatbelts. Your startup is ready for takeoff. Pilot handles your startup's finance, accounting, and tax prep needs so you can be free to focus on what's most important, building your business. Now that's first-class service if you ask me. I'm I'm going for a plane theme um, because of Pilot. You get it. When you work with Pilot, you have a dedicated team of US-based accounting experts and fractional CFOs ready to support you at every stage of your hyper-growth company. And these aren't just any US-based accounting experts and fractional CFOs. They've run the financial back office for thousands of startups, including Airtable, Scale.ai, and Lattice. Plus, all of your favorite financial tools like Stripe, QuickBooks, and Brax integrate with Pilot, so everything is kept effortlessly up to date and is organized as a well-packed carry-on. Non-technical listeners get 20% off their first six months. Learn more at pilot.com slash non-technical. Lauren Burson is an executive turned entrepreneur with 18 plus years of experience building brands, products, and communities across a diverse set of industries. Lauren is the founder and CEO of Conceive, a digital health platform aiming to change fertility outcomes and experiences through community, evidence-based education, and coaching. For her, that journey is deeply personal. She welcomed her daughter into the world after three challenging years filled with heartbreak, misinformation, and failed treatment. Conceive is the solution she wished she had. Prior to Conceive, Lauren was VP, Global Head of Strategy and M&A at WW, formerly Weight Watchers, a senior partner at Andreessen Horowitz, and strategic product partnerships lead at Google. Lauren is an active angel investor and advisor. She also serves as a board member for the JCCA, a child welfare agency in New York City. Lauren Burson, welcome to the pod. Oh, I'm so excited. Let's do this. This is a very exciting convo for you and I because, well, I'll speak for myself. I've wanted to chat with you for a long time, just as friends. <laughs> same here, same here. And we did a little bit of that that one time in Clubhouse with like thousands of people listening on. But I, I, I always wanted more. <laughs> Got to leave people wanting more, Lauren. That's my whole secret. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. And then it's you a good and one. I do know each other from Twitter, of course. Yes the water cooler of the internet. And we have some mutual friends, including those who've been on the pod before, like Musa Tariq, CMO of GoFundMe. Correct. He's the best. He is the best. That was another really fun episode. So I'm really excited to dive in. I want to start by asking you this. How did you spend your last day off? What is a day off? My gut reaction is like just being. So like, let me explain. If you ever catch me with a day off or an hour off, You could find me in the middle of a crowded room, just standing there by myself and not at all feeling awkward whatsoever, which was not the previous me. Once Mm. you become a parent, it's, it's just that everything becomes so scheduled, right? Okay. 
you know, no matter how hard you try, even if you have great help and support, which we do, you have to be on all the time. And couple that with the fact that now I live in the country pretty much. So like, what, yeah. what is there even to do out here? But like, right. truly, I recently went to a, an event and I, I just stood there by myself for a little bit, just enjoying that time. And by the way, I'm obsessed with my daughter, right? As yeah, you mentioned course. up front, it took me three years to have her. You won't find a more doting parent than me, but free time and sleep uh, yeah. is just beyond a luxury. And so I get that in like increments. It's hours. It's not really days. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So when was the last moment then that you felt you had that, that sort of got to stare off into space, be by yourself moment? Well, we're about to have that next week because we are going to Florida, my husband Ooh. and I. Yeah. We're going to check it out because he's really pitching me hard on moving there. I love that you said Florida. But I know you, I didn't you, specify. We both know it. We both know that you mean Miami <laughs> and we've never talked about that before at all. But just the way you said Florida, your eyes said Miami. <laughs> what if I told you I was moving to Lake Tampa? I would be so excited to have that conversation. I'm excited to have this one, but I would be also equally thrilled and probably more curious about what was motivating you to move to Tampa, which is an hour <laughs> away from where my mom lives. Maybe you just want to hang out with my mom. That's an option. That's probably probably true. I probably should do that. My husband has been pitching Florida really hard. Miami, you are right. For a while, like okay. pre-COVID in his okay. defense. So he Whoa, was a... Yes. Okay. Trendsetter. And, uh, he's a trendsetter. <laughs> he really just... It's, an, it's natural. In February of 2019, I had just come back from maternity leave and we were trying to reassess like, w w what are we doing? Right. We're yeah. in this two-bedroom apartment in Manhattan and it's mm. wonderful, but it's there's not enough doors to close. Of course. And where do we see our lives? And he had been pitching hard. <laughs> I love a nice existential crisis motivated by real estate. It has happened to me many times before. It's just so relatable. It's very real, right? You look around and you're like, wait, hold on. <laughs> yeah. Like, and that's all I've done, right? I've lived yeah. in two of the most expensive cities in the world and that's all I've known. I mean, yeah. Same. And when, when we thought about like where to move, I, I find this to be a really tricky one actually, because most people maybe they moved to their hometowns. I grew up in Queens, which mm. is an incredible place to grow up, melting pot of the world, right? Mm -hmm. That was what I thought was normal. And I, I believe that's like what our world should look like, right? Yeah. Versus sort of rooms that look more like echo chambers right. and all the same. But most people, I think, move to their hometowns or they have some mm. like something that ties them somewhere. But we don't have that, right? My husband grew up in Minnesota. We're not moving there. I yeah. grew up in Queens. We're not moving there. Yeah. And so we have this sort of crisis of like, where do people go? And how do you do that during a pandemic? Yeah. You don't know what a community is like. And you can get a nice house anywhere. So it, it right. can't just be about the home. Although I think a lot of people do get motivated by that. So we've totally. been struggling with this for a while. We wound up pushing it off and coming out to mm -hmm. East Hampton, which is where we've been kind of holding down the fort for about a year and we'll do it for another year. My parents yeah. have a place five minutes from us. Oh, that's so nice. It's so nice. It's a weird place to live all year round. But the Florida thing he's been pushing because his in his defense, yeah, like if you're not married to Manhattan, why are we suffering through winter? Totally. I completely understand. Yeah. Let me ask you this. He's been pitching for a while. It sounds like he hasn't been successful. What's missing? Should there be a slide deck? Has he not provided you enough data points? What can make this pitch more compelling? I don't have a strong one pager from him yet, but Damn, you know, he, there are some pros, right? Like he's got a number of close friends that he happened to grow up with or, or go to college with that grew up there and are there. The weather is compelling. The weather is very compelling. Very compelling. And my parents, right, in the vein of sort of not 
taking my daughter and kind of moving miles and miles and miles away from them after we've had them five minutes from her for Mm -hmm. the last year, they were planning on spending winters down there anyway. Oh, hell yeah. Make it a whole family affair. This is great. He's trying to put all these pieces together. I have hesitations. I have never really explored Miami in in a way, in a a very real way. I know there's there's a lot more culture and, and great food scene than obviously in years prior. And that I believe, and the the people that we know that live down there are wonderful, but it's certainly Mm -hmm. a quirky place, right? From a political perspective, Mm -hmm. right? Which we don't have to get into. I'm still scratching my head. I don't know if I'm a Florida person. Do you feel me? I understand. I do. I would say that my assessment of Miami, having now spent more time there, is it's better than I thought. And also I'd say comma, at the end of the day, you are still in Florida, which is worth considering. But I would be happy to review the pitch materials and provide a more detailed recount of my assessment so far. But I think that that's that's kind of where I've landed. I think we're on the same page and that's the struggle. So we're going on Sunday to check it out. Love that. And see if I can be persuaded in one direction. And it would be the kind of thing where we would try it out. We're not going to move, you know, move and put down roots without really knowing what it's like. That makes sense. If you need to test out, like, what would it be like if we had a friend come visit the place we're renting in Miami? Like, I would fall on that sword for you. (laughs) Like, if you need someone to come test out your guest room situation. Yes. I would do that for you. You are in. That's the kind of friend that I am. I love it. I love it. (laughs) It's funny even looking back to when he was pitching me in February 2019, what real estate looked like then versus now. Things have tripled in price. Yeah. Truly wild. Yeah. Lauren, something you mentioned that I thought was interesting is you talked about the difference between being on and being off and how when you're a parent, you have to be on. And I'm wondering when you say being on as a parent, are you trying to be a certain type of way around your daughter? If it was me, I would think I would just be trying to make my child laugh or smile 100% of the time, but I don't have kids. So I'm not really sure. I love that. And that is an element of kind of who I am and who I've always been around kids. Like I just, my goofy side comes out and I like Mm -hmm. to be playful. I would say like, there's two things that my daughter has taught me so deeply, even if I had some semblance of them before. Yeah. One is presence, right? Mm. Like presence is all they have. They don't have past, right? Like they start to gather it by the age, the age of two, right? She now remembers things and remembers her favorite books and experiences that she's had, but all she really has is that moment. Right. And there's this, this deep seated desire I have that when I'm with her to be present with her, and that's really difficult, obviously. And so there's this balancing act of like, it not always needing to be perfect, right? I'm not going to walk away every time. Oh, I can't be present with you later. Right. Like, you have to be her mom. <laughs> but... I'm sorry, child. I cannot be present at this moment in time. I must away. <laughs> exactly. But it's an ongoing challenge and it's an, it's a really beautiful thing to, to push you in that direction, not to, to sound sort of annoying, um, but I've, I've meditated <laughs> for a long time <laughs> because I recognize how it can come off. I get it. No, I've meditated for a long time and it's been for my own sanity, right? Like I found, yeah. I found Headspace probably when it just launched. And in fact, Musa gifted me a year of Headspace. And so I've been doing Ooh, it for like good six or seven years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where when I first started it, it was like reactive, right? It was having those moments where it was like super, super frenetic and anxious. Yeah. And I would spend 15 minutes just kind of breathing and I felt better. Yeah. And then I had, of course, living in San Francisco at the time, I had many friends that meditated a lot, many yeah, who went course. on silent retreats, all of those things. Yeah. And one of my friends who's sort of the, the most calmest presence that I've ever sort of met, she meditated every day. And I said, 
well, if, if Upeka's like this, then what would it be if I mm. meditated every day? So the notion of kind of presence and mindfulness has been alive in my life, but okay. it takes it to a whole other level once you have a child. And I guess the other piece is really patience. Hmm. Children are hard. <laughs> they don't know yeah. what they're doing. They want to test boundaries all the time. I mean, obviously when they're infants, you literally have to just guess at what's going on with them because they don't have the words to express them. Only now is my daughter starting to say, my teeth hurt. I'm tired. She'll say I'm grumpy. And I learn a lot from my husband, who is the most patient person in the world, just being patient and knowing that if they don't want to wear the thing that they need to wear to get to school, or if they don't want to get there at a certain hour, you have to balance moving them quickly with kind of trying to follow their lead, really. Oh, wow. Yeah. That sounds frankly very hard. A lot (laughs) of that sounds... (laughs) really hard and very impressive. I'm always impressed by parents. It's the hardest thing. You mentioned sort of being playful with your daughter. And I was wondering if you think any of that is informed by being a former improviser because you've done improv comedy before, right? Thank you for saying it that way. I I will totally do. I should have added that to my bio. Like, can we redo that? Yeah, absolutely. Child Welfare Agency in NYC. Lauren Burson is a trained comedic improviser. We'll we'll patch that in later. I love it. Improv and and not actually comedy, but sort of acting and and drama and all of that Mm. has always been something that has piqued my interest in many ways. I've always just been playful and Mm. inserting comedy and fun and and playfulness into any experience, especially in the business sense, has been... Mm. Kind of something that's defined me. In fact, like one of my bosses at Andreessen who hired me, but he said when he met me, he saw like a level of expressiveness and communication that was really intriguing for him and and relationship building. But the other piece was this playfulness, like that I didn't take Mm -hmm. myself too seriously, that I was able to inject humor in the right ways in business. I had never like thought about it that way or summarized my life that way. But when I Hmm. saw that he saw that, it was kind of in line with how I've always been. And so improv is something I've always wanted to try. When I moved back to New York, I finally got around to doing it. UCB, right? Upright Citizens Brigade, uh, epic place to learn. And I think there are so many parallels with improv and with business. And so for me, it wasn't like, hey, I'm going to quit this business thing and go into comedy or acting. Like, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I'm not that skilled. I wish I were. But for me, it was kind of pushing myself in a few ways. One is always being able to build on top of someone else is something that is a a rule that helps you in every situation, right? Whether it's business, personal, right? Trying to see the good side in things, which I think I have a natural inclination to see the, Mm. the beauty in people unless you fuck it up right. <laughs> and, and then you're dead to me. No, I, I, I can. But, but secondly, is this notion of creativity to mm-hmm. like one of the things that one of my teachers explained to the group of improv folks versus, you know, non-regular people. I don't know. What do we call them? <laughs> <laughs> the other people. Yeah. Uh, they, they have this ability to think of creative solutions to everything. So if you said mm. like to any group, Hey, think of like, a hundred ideas we can do for camping this weekend for our camping trip this weekend. Most people will come up with like five and then improv folks would come up with like 200. I'm exaggerating, of course, but you get the idea. But the creativity is limitless. And I think really skilled improvisers are consciously or subconsciously aware of that and then willing to let themselves go there, even though it poses an extreme risk of looking stupid, not getting a laugh, being wrong. There's all kinds of fear that I think as an improviser, you sort of learn to be like, yep, no, I know that's there, but we got to come up with 200 ideas about where we're going to go camping. So it doesn't matter. What about the moon? Exactly. 
And it's it's so beautiful when it all comes together. I was I the know. worst in my classes though, because I think I would just laugh the entire time. Like I think those <laughs> were the notes. You were having fun. I was having the best time. That's great. Those three hours of class and the time on stage. It's just the best time. So I'm literally fun. hysterically laughing the entire time. It's interesting. So so what, it's been one of those things that I've always just been intrigued by and dabbled in for a little bit. I tried to get to 301 and I think I was like pregnant. It was a windowless room that we would oh no, learn in <laughs> and I, I would have hot flashes and I just, it like, it didn't work. There should be a specific improv class that's like improv for pregnant people. <laughs> <laughs> and the classes are not three hours long. Should there though? Yeah, I don't know. I think so. It's that they're like 60 minutes long max. There are many breaks. Many breaks. Conveniently located restroom. No one knew I was pregnant either. <gasps> Secret pregnancy. Yeah. I was like, aren't you guys sweating? And I would like be opening the door all the time. They were like, what's wrong with they're this like, woman? Like she just right. can't get with it. That's okay. I mean, to be fair, uh, I'm like that all the time anyway. I'm either unbelievably cold to the point where I'm shivering and in pain or I'm so hot that I must take off my jacket right? immediately. I just don't think my body does a good job at regulating its temperature. And I've just same. accepted that. I Well, I've, I've started way. to accept it. So are your hands hands always a little cold. Of course they are. Just 100% of the time. Okay, Lauren, do you have a catchphrase or other words or phrases that you or other people feel are specific to you? This is a hard one. I probably have more than I can recognize, but the one that comes to mind, and I think most things come together in context, right? So like when I moved to San Francisco, I did that after getting a divorce. I was starting my life over. So I was like 30 Mm -hmm. years old and I was like pressing restart. And so I think a lot of like the exploration and and the things that I found came out of that time. This may be Mm. too much of a buildup for this catchphrase. (laughs) I think I fucked this up. I can't wait for the catchphrase to be something like, that's cool, man. (laughs) It's it's funny because when I was thinking about this, like when when you ask that kind of question and you think about like, what are your catchphrases? Like they always seem to be tied to specific moments in my life. And so at the time I would call everyone lovely humans. Mm. My boss and people around me were like, lovely. You sound like my grandmother, which I don't think so. Like I, I I beg to differ. I want to say I brought that word back a little bit. I I think maybe you did. I I think I did in San Francisco at least. Mm -hmm. Right. If you heard it, then it It was was me. It was probably because of you. Yeah. Yeah. I will do that. Nobody can confirm or deny. Correct. So lovely humans. That was, that's kind of my catchphrase. And that's what I call people all the time. I was like, Hey, lovely humans. And it was always humans. Hmm. And I built that up too much, but that was, (laughs) was no, I thought that was the perfect amount of buildup. Thank you. Is that an old sounding word? That's what folks on my team would always say, especially my boss at the time. He was like, that's like what my grandma says. Are you, are you my grandma? It's like, wow, maybe, maybe in another life. It's not a very lovely human thing to say, (laughs) dude. Just saying. It's fair. It's fair. I've noticed one come up for me a lot recently, which is I say truly. Truly. All the time. I'll say I that was I'd truly that. wild. Yeah. That's Everything a good one. Is truly. Or sometimes someone will send me something. And then if I want to agree, I'll say, oh, truly. Truly. Where did I get that? I don't know. Not literally though, which is good. I think. No, you're not allowed to say literally as a woman or people think you're dumb apparently. So <laughs> apparently. I try to stay away from that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The universe says not for you ladies. Yeah. <laughs> no, literally Fine. for you. Fine. <laughs> Lauren, what is the tiniest tail you're willing to die on? So something inconsequential that you would really go to bat for. There's so many. <laughs> <laughs> I love people that have so many tiny hills. That is so cool to me. I do not have that many tiny hills. Really? Or do you just have a lot of big hills? 
God, I don't know. But asking so many people this question has given me a crisis of identity in the sense where I'm like, I know I'm bothered by things all the time. So I'm sure that those hills are out there, but I tend not to get riled up about small things that other people disagree with. I'm sort of like, live your life. I'm never going to use anything other than the one type of pen that I use, but live your life. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) But it's not like a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode every time something little bothers you. Well, I will tell you the truth. (laughs) I'm sorry for this ridiculous aside, but this morning was probably me at my most Larry David. Tell me what you think of this. It could just be me. I was at a coffee shop where the barista was popping bubble wrap. Oh, oh, bubble wrap. I thought you were going to say bubble gum. No, no, bubble wrap. One by one for 20 minutes. (laughs) One and by I, one. I, one by one. And I tried to be the kind of person that was like, this doesn't bother me. But I sat there for the entire 20 minutes, like every time it popped, just being like, <gasps> isn't it funny when those noise related things happen? And I think there's probably also a context that you're in, in that moment that like maybe in another, you know, experience, it wouldn't bother you. But I had an experience right? like that recently too, where I live out in rural America. My daughter goes to a farm school and literally Love it's it. on a farm and she's outdoor, outdoors most of the day with like cows and, and, and horses. And there's actually no cows. I don't know why I said that. Horses <laughs> and pigs and donkeys and goats like and there hens. Cows. There should be cows. Yeah. When I take her to school, I work at a cafe nearby because it's like 25 minutes from my house. So going back sure. and forth for those two hours doesn't make any sense. So like this cafe, this, this restaurant barely has any customers, right? I'm like, they know me very well by now. Mm -hmm. They know my order, right? There's no one out here, you know, all year round. But I was there one day and there was this older lady in the corner, like sitting at the opposite Mm -hmm. side of the restaurant, which is not very small. And after she ate her meal, she was just sitting there by herself, enjoying some sort of game on her phone. Oh no! And because she was an older woman, the volume at which she was playing this game mm-hmm. was insanity. Right. And there I am working away, like having a really pleasant time. But then this just started, it was kind of like somebody was popping bubble wrap yes. one by one. It was excruciating. Yes. I went outside. I completely understand. I would never tell somebody to stop doing that. I want to be the kind of person that doesn't care. And I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you. I feel you. Maybe I should meditate more. Maybe that would help. Is there like a headspace track for dealing with the banalities of the human experience? (laughs) Because that's the one that I need. (laughs) There should be. There's so many now. The one really tiny hill. Yes, tell me. There's a tiny and there's a median. The tiny is that deep fried turkey is the only way that you should consume turkey. Oh, wow. So my husband is an amazing cook, which I am really spoiled by. That's the dream. It is the dream. He grew up in Minnesota and they mm-hmm. only deep fried their turkeys. Oh, really? And when you think about what a deep fried turkey might taste like, you might assume it tastes like this sort of like breaded, weird amalgamation of things. But frankly, when it comes out of the deep fryer, it tastes like the best roasted turkey you've ever had. It's got yeah. the crispy skin and it's juicy and it's perfection. Yeah. It's the only way you should consume turkey and probably chicken for that matter, but we don't do that mm. on a regular basis. But the other that. one, that is medium size and potentially more controversial is you can have sushi while you're pregnant. And the thing that I say here is, yes, you can do that. And I didn't. So like, I'm, I'm sort of speaking out of two (laughs) sides of my mouth. (laughs) 
That's great. The sentiment behind what I say there, right, is when you look at data and when you look at the way we're treated as humans when we're pregnant, Mm -hmm. like women's health has been so underfunded and under-researched for so long that we literally don't do any trials on pregnant women. And you can imagine why that could be too. There probably aren't millions of pregnant women who are dying to test out whether things harm their child while they're still in the womb. But we know so little. And so what we do is we treat women like they cannot take care of themselves and we tell them Mm. to avoid every single thing, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. So we tell them to avoid alcohol and we tell them to avoid sushi and, you know, cold cuts and caffeine when moderation of those things is actually totally fair. But we don't trust people with moderation in this country in particular. And so the reason, the sentiment behind why I say that is because I think these rules only stress people out to a point where the stress outweighs sort of the the negative effects of possibly a listeria outbreak, which when's the last time you heard about a listeria outbreak from cold cuts? Like, have you ever heard of one? No, I don't think so. No, I think the last one was like decades ago. Oh, yeah. Huh. I don't actually think I know what listeria is. So that's yeah. clearly how yeah. often <laughs> I don't it's think happening. That's ex- exactly, exactly. <laughs> Lauren, you mentioned a deep fried turkey, which is something that I've actually had before because my dad went through a phase where we would have to have multiple turkeys prepared multiple ways on Thanksgiving. And you might think that's because we were serving dinner for 30. We were not. This was for probably 10 people, two turkeys. And one of the ways that he would do it is deep fried. And it's true for those listeners out there who are picturing like a super bready KFC version of a turkey, it couldn't be further from the truth. It's just like a really crisp exterior of a really juicy turkey. So I'd love to join you on that hill. I love it. Your dad gets it. Yeah. He's exactly like my husband and his father who they would do the same. They would do one roasted, one deep fried, probably to like quell the haters so that everybody could tell like actually the deep fried one was better. You kind of do a blind taste test. It's so delightful. I don't know why we don't have it more often. Well, I was going to ask, do you think that turkey is a once a year food? AKA Thanksgiving only, or do you have turkey other times during the year? I don't think it should be. And Mm. and now that we have this, this home that we've rented where we have a deep fryer for a turkey, right? Like a specific (laughs) turkey deep fryer. Love it. I feel like maybe we should pull it out more often. I think it might be worthwhile. But do you, you know, like when was the last time? Yeah, I eat a lot of turkey sandwich. Exactly. I'll throw some turkey on there. Boar's head, whatever, whatever your favorite. Yeah. Poisonous. Whatever the least likely listeria outbreak deli meat. <laughs> That's exactly is. how I know you choose your, your deli meat. Every day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. honestly, that would not be that far off from my personality, to be totally honest. So it's crazier things have happened. This is why I'm convinced you have a lot more tiny hills, but it's just, it's gotten maybe just confusing <laughs> with hearing everybody else's. You know what it honestly probably is? It's probably that in my mind, everybody else agrees so to me, they're not tiny hills. It's just the way that the world works. Yeah, like I'm that's sure there fair. are things that I take absolutely for granted that other people are like, no. But to me, I'm like, how could you not feel this way? I'm sure yeah, that it, it has. Yeah. To, I'm sure it's a me thing. Once again, running theme. I'm sure that this is a me problem. <laughs> okay, Lauren, is there a fad that you look back on participating in? This could be a workout thing, a fashion thing, cultural, whatever, that now makes you a little cringy. So what is the only fad from the 90s that hasn't come back? That's the one. (laughs) Oh, boy. So I don't want to date myself, but do you remember when, and please say yes, even if it's not true. (laughs) Do you remember when, this is actually 80s, not 90s. So it was cut off denim shorts. Okay. 
that were attached to legging shorts underneath. Okay. Is that even the way to describe it? Legging shorts? Like, how do you describe? I'm trying. I see you don't remember. See, this is, I told you to say yes. I, yes. First of all, of course, yes. (laughs) For no other reason than that. Certainly who wouldn't remember that? Okay. What I'm picturing is biker shorts with denim shorts over them. Biker shorts. Thank you. That is the better term. Okay. Yes. That is the one. I mean, it's, it's literally the only fad from the eighties that I feel like, you know, everything old is new again and everything comes back. That hasn't come back. It hasn't come back. It hasn't made it. And biker shorts have, and de- and cut off denim shorts have, and almost everything from the eighties and nineties has come back. Yeah. That's, the, that's the one. Why do you think that is? It's kind of a ridiculous thing, right? It is pretty ridiculous because in pairing the spandex with the denim, you lose the best of both worlds. You do. You lose the flexibility of the spandex and your constricted by said spandex. And so you don't get to take any advantage of the denim. Correct. Huh. And why would one want to ever wear two shorts? Is the other question. Well, I'm trying to think maybe (laughs) it's cold, but like it's only (laughs) your pelvic area that's cold. There's wind going up the shorts. It is the vest of the lower half. I think that is the situation. You know, maybe I should try to bring it back. I mean, you never will know if you don't try. That's fair. Were the denim shorts in this scenario ripped? Did they have like a ripped look to them? There weren't holes. They weren't kind of like the nice, beautiful, you know, worn or whatever you want to call it. Sure. Jeans that you can put a foot through. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's the perfect way of describing it. Right. Yeah. But they had the, the fringe, right. As, as cut off denim shorts do, right. They had a fringe around the bottom. Were the spandex underneath typically color spandex or black or gray? They were black if my memory serves me, which it's quite possible that it doesn't. So I will Google this afterwards. I'm curious. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of any other scenarios where this might be helpful. Well, I guess if your denim shorts are way too short and you want you want more of a, like a modesty. You're going for like a modest look. You want people to know that like you came here to party, but they're going to have to work for it. I would say that's the official slogan of denim cutoff shorts over spandex. That's a great slogan. We're bringing it back. I know a designer. Let's do this. And I yeah. think we should make it more colors. It's possible okay. that I just had the black ones because that was what suited me at the time. But maybe sure. Neon was was part of this. I mean, right? I this own all the accoutrement to make this happen right now. You <laughs> don't know? we? So, don't we? I we do already too. have the materials. Right. We can easily start the the fad. Yeah. Right. We just need to get the people going. Yeah. So, um, do you believe in ghosts? Yes. Okay. Meaning like, I want to believe in ghosts. I haven't had an experience where I've met a ghost. Sure. But I am obsessed with the idea of them. And when I think about like the, the books that have resonated the most with me, they always Mm. have an element of magical realism right now. I'm reading. Yes. Which is interesting. And it's not something I've thought about until recently. I, I, I grew up kind of learning Spanish and I lived in Spain. And so because I didn't learn grammar growing up, I actually was like better at writing in Spanish than I was in English, which was like a weird thing. Oh, that is interesting. A hundred years of solitude, which is like sort of the epic Mm. magical realism book was one of my favorites. And right now I'm reading Killing Commendatory by Murakami. Oh, I love Murakami. So this is weird. I've only read, this is my first one. And like most people think it's his worst. Yeah, <gasps> yeah Wait, apparently. I'm so shocked. Yes. I mean, liking Murakami was my entire personality for at least two years in college. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. Plenty of books to recommend. I have what's called a book twin. Mm. Do you have a book twin? 
I don't know yet. Okay. What's a book twin? So I think it's really easy to like recommend TV shows and movies and like, you know, some people mm-hmm. like them, some mm-hmm. people won't. There's, there tends to be more overlap. It seems to be like an easier mechanism for mm-hmm. suggestion and recommendation. Yeah. Books I find to be really hard. Best friends I have who really get me, who we have a lot of like similar sort of ways of thinking about the world or similar humor. I recommended a book to them and they're like, that was the fucking worst book I've ever read. <laughs> and, and vice versa, oh, right? No. <laughs> yeah. Now, I stumbled upon a book twin in San Francisco in a really weird way where I was newly divorced and I had gotten married and been with my ex since I was 23. So it was like seven years of my life and there were no dating apps when I was 23. Again, I'm aging myself. I'm 30. I'm using these like new apps and I'm like, what is this world of dating, right? And kind of, and and restarting my life in many ways. Hmm. And I was chatting with somebody, sounds so stupid and maybe very uncharacteristic, but for some reason, he asked me, like, where in the city do you live? And I sent him a picture from the front of my house, which is like sure. a really weird thing to do. But they were small <laughs> houses next to each other in the marina in San Francisco where you could mm. see a sliver of the Golden Gate Bridge from the front of the house. I had the, the in-laws unit, so I didn't see that from my... my sure, sure. <laughs> there was no view. But still, it was there. But it was there, right? And it was cool. And he literally was like, wait, that's the front of my house. And it turned <gasps> out... This was really eerie. And at this point, I should have been like, this is a hoax. Somebody's going to like murder me. Yeah. But as it turned out, he lived next door to me. No way. Yes. It was a very eerie thing. That is bizarre. Bizarre. Scott turned out to be, I mean, he is an incredible human being and and still a friend. And we are book twins. We also had all these sort of similarities in in terms of books. Some of the weirdest random books that I loved, like A Fraction of the Whole by Steve Toltz that most people Mm. haven't heard of. He also read and loved. And so when he suggests something, it kind of shoots to the top of the list in terms of okay. order of priority. So he suggested this book recently and I'm reading it and it's it's full of depth, right? It's, it covers mm. art and, you know, perspective, divorce, right? Which resonates with me, affairs, mm-hmm. death, memory, loss, anti-Semitism, World War II, creativity. And I'm obsessed with this book. I get so excited to read it every night and I stay up way later than I should. I'm like a little kid, which is, you know, yeah. that's what a book should do for you. I right? agree. Yes. I want books that demand that I keep reading them. It's so hard to find that, right? Mm-hmm. But I love it because it's peppered with magical realism. So just like oh, the notion that's that... Amazing magical events happen in this very realistic manner. I have to believe that that is real. I have to believe that, you know, if an object was moved, there was some otherworldly event Mm. that made that move, right? That some things are fated. And so there's like sort of inklings in my life that we won't get into here, but maybe when we meet in real life, we we can talk about. But so I believe in ghosts definitively. And yet I've, I've, I've lacked a a true ghost experience. Sometimes it's just the belief that matters. Yeah. Right. Totally. That's very interesting. I have never put it in the context of magical realism, but I think that we're probably pretty aligned in like what we believe is out there. I have also never interacted with a ghost in the traditional sense, maybe someday. I don't know that that's something I want, to be totally honest. I scare pretty easily. So I don't see that really going great. I don't know. It would be like a rich conversation. I think I'd be very scared. I think I'd be too consumed by my fear to really be like, what's the situation? I agree with you. In this book, he constantly interacts with sort of ghosts, which are really parading around like ideas. And yet he has oh, this. Oh, whoa. Yeah, I love yeah, that. Ideas coming to life. Like, like how, oh, how beautiful is that? Resonant. Right? How, yes. He's able to remain calm while still being startled, which is, I think, exactly how I would, I would, I would try and I would be kind of fascinated. Like I would hmm. be like 
trying to witness and take it all in. Mm-hmm. But there's something beautiful about that that I'm just so, I'm just, I happen to be drawn to. When I think about totally. all of the art and books and things that I love, they always have this surrealism, like magic to them. Yeah. Is there a song that whenever you hear it takes you back in time? Yes. There's what a thousand. It? How are there not a million? The one that comes to mind immediately is Bright Side of the Road by Van Morrison. Okay. Where does it take you? So my husband is a huge Van Morrison fan. Hmm. Van Morrison's incredible. I did not know that until my husband started playing him all the time and then took me to see him live a few years ago, which was magical. But when we were giving birth to Mm -hmm. my daughter, we had what they call a doula. And I think I'm going to pause here for a second because I think it's important because I think doulas get a really bad rap. Like when you hear the word doula, I think most people think I'm giving birth in a bathtub in the middle of a forest (laughs) somewhere. And there's no medical care, which is like quite the opposite of what a doula does. I would call a doula like a concierge, which is sort of the way we think about my business conceive, which is somebody that has been through that experience thousands of times, knows exactly what to expect and helps you advocate for yourself. In an experience that you don't know, right? As a first-time parent, you have no idea what it's like to get birth and you don't know the ins and outs and intricacies of things when they go wrong, which inevitably something will. So we have this amazing doula who was recommended to me by a friend who said to us, like, you should bring music. You should bring a stereo. You should bring candles. You should try and create an atmosphere that is like calming to you because you're going to be in a lot of pain and very uncomfortable for a long period of time. And so thanks to her, my husband did. And while we were, while I was pushing, which is like the craziest. And by the way, she took photos of this, which I didn't ex- expect. Oh, wow. <laughs> which I will never share with anyone. Sure. Which is insane. Um, yes. They also held up a mirror so that I could see what was going on, which is also insane. Get the, oh, the birth wow. processes. Yeah. Is, is huh. absolutely intimate. wild. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very intimate. But my husband was playing music. And when Elle, mm. my daughter's name is Elle, came to the world, played Bright Side of the Road by Van Morrison. And, and not only was it like warming to us, right? And then we got to snuggle with her. Like the entire staff was so happy. Like the nurses and doctors that were coming in and out, they were like, this is great. Because like, uh, shouldn't it be that way? Like there should yeah. be surround sound in all operating rooms or whatever yeah. in the world. Let's get a Sonos deal going on with Cedar sinai yes. I mean, where is yes. that business development person? Exactly. Like that, it's gotta be. That's beautiful. When you hear that song now, do you think of your daughter? and that day? Yeah, I do. And I like light up. Do you play the song for her? I do. I created a playlist for her Aww. called Dear L, which was like all the songs that kind of reminded me of her. Oh, that's so sweet. And I keep adding to it. It's one oh, of these things lovely. that she doesn't have right now, but like eventually I think like when she's maybe 18 or maybe 25, she'll think it's cool. Mm-hmm. I think she'll think it's cool. I, well, I mean, she's going to hate I, me until 18. Let's be honest. Maybe no, until there'll 22. be, I think you'll have some good years and then it's going to take a turn. At least, I mean, speaking for myself, my mom and I were super close and then definitely took a sharp left turn <laughs> and then we came back around. <laughs> okay. Two part question for you. Yeah. Who would play you in a movie about your life? And second part, should this movie be a biopic? So birth to present day, or should it focus in on a particularly exciting chapter of your life? Oh, wow. This is one of those where I don't get this a lot. Like people don't, I don't know about you. Like, Mm -hmm. do people come up to you all the time and say, you remind me of this? Like, I don't get it a lot, but when I do, it's pretty consistent. So there's like two people. Yeah. And it's like weird because I don't really see it. There's two people people always mention. One is Reese Witherspoon, which is obviously like, you know, she's incredible. So like, I'll take it all day long. Like her too. Do I? Yeah. People say it's like the smile and the jaw, which like I, we both have like longer 
chins maybe so I don't know there's something there possibly that I've like seen a glimmer of but okay, I will take sure. that all day long because I think she's incredible and I yeah, admire her amazing. a ton she's actually a dream guest for non-technical fun oh. fact oh the other woman I would get a bunch is the woman from Suits not Meghan Markle not <laughs> to be clear which would be even better but like I, I think her name is Abigail Spencer and she was on another okay. show that I watched for a while and I see that one more. Okay. But most people don't know who she is, I don't think. Sorry, Abigail, if you're listening to this. I can only assume that she's <laughs> listening, but I'm sure that she won't be offended because what a wonderful compliment to be able to play you in a movie. <laughs> Thank you. So really. what are you thinking? Biopic or is there a particular like life era that is just dying to be turned into cinema? There's a couple of life eras, right? Okay. Like, like if I were to write a memoir, mm-hmm. the title would be like, which I know you ask your guests a lot. So I'm like, um, I'm do. jumping here, but no, the, jump the, away. but it like just feels, I mean, it's, they're similar, right? It's like memoir yeah. movie about my life. The title would be like coloring outside the lines. So mm. meaning like sort of perfectionist turned non-perfectionist, right? Yes. Like I, growing up, like the way yes. that I was able to get attention was to overachieve. So like, sure. Surprise, Same. surprise. Like, you know, that's what made <laughs> Of course. Right. <laughs> but of course, what about my personality right now would indicate any other path to this moment? Right, right. It's like, it's so obvious. You know, straight A's, all the stupid things. And in general, I think like girls are also raised this way and a bit more, there's nature and nurture at play here, but I think boys mm-hmm. are more encouraged to kind of inherently be a bit more wild and, and do sure, their thing. Sure. But it helped me make sense of the world, right? So I was a perfectionist, Right. But my life, my my adult life, I guess, has been this slow unraveling of this in all senses and learning to follow my intuition and not be afraid to fuck things up has been yeah. the most rewarding thing that I've done. So it's everything mm. from things that I've mentioned, like with my, with my divorce and moving cross country by myself, yes. knowing like two people and starting my life over at 30, which is not uncharacteristic in the sense that like, you know, I, I, you know, following my gut, but like literally no one I knew still barely anyone I know had gotten a divorce at that point in time. Totally. But as it turned out, many people were having similar relationship struggle. Oh, interesting. Right? Once you mm. kind of pull the, the covers off of that, you're not alone, right? A lot of these things that yeah. get, hidden, get hidden in the shadows are somewhat more universal than you think. That period of my time, like I wrote a lot about that period of time and what was going on for me and the experiences I had and the songs that I was listening to. And mm. so that could be one one experience. I think the other sort of you know, difficult journey I've been through, of course, which inspired me to start the company that yeah. I've, I've created Conceive is also trying to trying to get pregnant, which, you know, yeah. for some people is like, you can blink and get pregnant. And I'm, I'm just not one of those. So it's been, you know, this, this long painful journey that I realized I was not alone in. And I, I've, mm. I've been so inspired to actually help others uh, get through it, both from a community, but also a care navigation and connection standpoint. But we won't talk about that. <laughs> well, I think either of those would make excellent movies. I think Reese would be interested. I think so too. It sounds like both have really excellent character arcs. And I feel like she's been taking on some pretty incredible roles lately. Oh, she's so I amazing. think this would be among, I know she really is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds great. What kind of genre are we thinking? Comedy, drama, a little bit of both? There's got to be some comedy in it, right? It wouldn't be me without that. So, so maybe it's full comedy. And you know what I, I appreciate about comedy is that it's got to be dramedy, right? Because there's, there's some yeah. painful moments in there. But what I appreciate about comedy is, uh, is for some reason, none of them ever become like Academy Award winners. Yeah. And so maybe this will be the first. <gasps> did you see The Big Sick by the screenplay was Camille Gianni and his wife? Emily, I did. Uh, I did. Yeah. I love that movie. One of yes, my favorites. Same. 
I mention it because though it's a comedy with a lot of really solid, solid drama, but some also truly funny moments, it got a nomination for Best Screenplay. Oh, interesting. Maybe that's where we're headed with Coloring Outside the Lines. Yeah. Yeah, I think we are. Just tossing it out there. I'm just putting <laughs> just it out there into the universe. We don't know. We you, don't know what's going to happen. You never know. Reese you really a lot never of star know. power. I'm just saying that there will be eyes on this thing. Reese, please. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Lauren, we're going to take a super quick break and then we'll be right back. Great. This episode of Non-Technical is still brought to you by Pilot.com. Pilot makes bookkeeping, budgeting, forecasting, and other finance needs easy. We all know tracking and managing financials is important, but bookkeeping and back office tasks may not be every startup's area of expertise, if you will. And when time is of the essence, you have to play to your strengths. If you're an entrepreneur looking for the freedom to focus on your business, Pilot just might be the service for you. Whether your startup is just starting out or scaling quickly, Pilot has your back. As the largest accounting provider for startups in the world, they've supported companies from pre-seed to Series D. Non-technical listeners get 20% off their first six months. Learn more at pilot.com slash non-technical. And we're back with Lauren Burson, the founder and CEO at Conceive. Lauren, we've arrived at a very special moment in this episode of Non-Technical. Are you ready? I'm so ready. I love that. Okay, we've arrived at the lightning round. First question for you, coffee or tea? Coffee. How do you take it? It's cream with a splash of coffee, honestly. Like I do this weird... Heavy cream. Yeah, Olay situation that's really like Olight. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. People think I'm drinking a milkshake every morning. What an amazing way to start your day. That sounds fantastic. (laughs) So good. I love when a guest comes in with a half and half, with a cream, with something like that, because you just don't hear it. It's a throwback to me. It's classic. It's a throwback. I don't trust people who drink skim milk, I will say. Sure. And I'm curious about the almonds and the the cashews of the world. I've Mm. tried them, but they're too watery for me. I got like heavy cream. That's it. Live your life, Lauren. I support you. Thank you. Do you have a favorite board game? I do. Clue. And actually, (laughs) after years and years of not playing Clue, we've been playing it as a family. From time Mm. to time, I get to convince everybody. Because like, what else do you do living out here? Of course. And it's it's still as good as I remember. Although there's a lot more strategy involved, as it turns out. Like you can really you can really win if you try. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I haven't played in so long. Who's your favorite character to play as? Miss Scarlet. Yeah. She, of course. She goes right? first, which is so weird. I didn't know that. Yeah. She always goes first. I just liked her dress. Right. I remember being a yeah. child and being like, oh, that one. <laughs> right. Uh, the best one. <laughs> the red one. <laughs> When you make the bed, do you make the bed with a top sheet or no top sheet? Top sheet. Always? Always. Me too. I didn't know people didn't. Did you know that? I didn't know that either. And I'm yeah. I'm scratching my head a little. Although I will say, yeah, there have been a couple of hotels recently that I've stayed at that didn't, which creeps me out even Whoa, more. That's wild. Well, I'm sure they're washing those duvet covers, but even still. I sure I sure hope so. Give me the illusion that I'm protected from Correct. other people's it situation. It feels very direct. Like, I don't like that. No, I don't like that at all. Not okay. a fan. See, Gross. okay. Here's a great example. Hill I would die on. All hotels should make their beds with top sheets. There but we again, go. I would just assume that that is how the world works. Correct. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not. It's like a new Ugh. thing, I think. It's very strange and peculiar, and I'm not happy about it. I don't like that either. Okay. Well, devastating, but we persevere. Do you have a pump-up song? Oh, gosh. I think I have a lot. Is there one that you put on when you need energy to do something or when you want something to, 
you want to get like fired up before an important meeting or before a run or something like that? I'll tell you one recently. So one of my favorite new albums is Oh Wonder. Have you ever listened to them? No. I'm, I'm pretty obsessed with their latest album. And there's a track on it called Roller Coaster Baby. Okay. That has become kind of my pump up song. And actually like I have been known while driving around the country to like (laughs) blast it. I cannot handle you calling Ease Hampton the country, Lauren. I am from middle of nowhere, Connecticut. Okay. I've let it happen the whole show. You're like, shut up now. I am from a town of 3,000 people. Okay. (laughs) On a mountain in Connecticut. (laughs) What town is this? Salisbury, Connecticut. Salisbury. Like Salisbury steak? Cows for real. Yes. But I believe the steak is from the British Salisbury. Okay. Um, Yeah. But anyway, I love the idea that East Hampton is the country. Think about it, Alexis. There are deer that are my friends. <laughs> like, you're th- I thought about it and I know and shut up. I thought about it. I clogged it and I said, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. What is it then? The doctor that I go, the pediatrician that my, my daughter goes to who's lived yes. out here for decades. She's like in her yeah. 70s probably. She called it rural America to me on the phone. When I asked her like, oh, can we boy. find an ENT for L? And she's like, Lauren, no. <laughs> she's like, the ones that are out here are not pediatric ENTs. It's rural America. You have to go further out to Long Island, but rural. you might as well just oh go to the God. city. God, that's so funny. I felt supported by her, but I get that I don't have your support. It's okay. Only because, <laughs> I, once again, this is what friendship is going to be like with me. I have to speak my truth, and I don't <laughs> think it's the country. I do not think it's rural America, certainly. That's hilarious, though. Thank you for that, which will power me through the rest of this day, reflecting on East Hampton as rural America. Um, I typically hear the Hamptons referred to as the beach. That's what people that in is my fair. life That is say. fair. It is the beach. It's just, it's this weird place, as I mentioned, I think earlier, like where there's two restaurants open right now, you can't get anything delivered. And yet to your point, there's the Gucci store or some other kind of like high-end situation. So it's a weird juxtaposition of things. Truly. But it does sound really lovely. Like it sounds really nice and quiet and and peaceful this time of year. It is all of those things. And sometimes a little bit too silent, but a little too cold. But also it's like kind of big little lies vibes too. Like looking over the ocean on like an overcast day. I mean, do you think that's where I live? That's so sweet of you. (laughs) That's how it feels. (laughs) That was cute. (laughs) Oh my gosh, Lauren, this has been such a treat. Normally I close by asking what would you title your memoir, but we've already established that that would be coloring outside the lines. Well, let me ask you this though. If someone gave you a coloring book right now, a page from a coloring book, would you literally color outside the lines? Because I, I don't think that I could do it. I'm just telling you the truth. It's hard. I couldn't. Do you do that? No. It's hard. I color with my daughter and we don't do coloring books. So she'll ask me to draw something and I'm the worst, like literally the worst Mm -hmm. drawer. Sure. Drawer. Sure. Sounds weird. (laughs) I think it's right, though. I think it's right. Like, does English serve me right now? (laughs) So there are no lines. It's hard. You know, you you kind of, maybe we have to try, Alexis. That's our homework. 
I'm, I support, I support you in that. I love to color inside the lines, literally in real life. I've moved it's away pretty. from it, but like for real coloring something in, it's so satisfying. Gratifying. I know. It yeah. really is. I'm, I'm with you on that. We can add this to our list of things that we do in Miami or in yep. rural America, wherever we, our paths should cross. Lauren, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me on non-technical. Thank you. This was such a treat. This was just like hanging out with a friend for a couple of hours and I do it again any day. Oh my God. Music to my ears. That warms my heart. Where can people find more about you online? You can find me on Twitter at Lauren Burson, sometimes on Instagram at the Lauren Burson mm. and at weconceive.com. Fantastic. And you can find me at Yay Alexis Gay on Twitter and Instagram or at non-technical pod on Twitter. Once again, Lauren, I really believe this is the start of a beautiful friendship. I'm ready. And thank you so much for coming on Non-Technical. Thank you. Right back at you.